I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing Maniac Season 1. Damask Leary, how are you today? I'm very well, how are you? Good, what's been happening? What's news? What's what's the hot goss? Oh, well, I don't know, not a lot. Uh, Alan Jones lost his shit. And... <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, I just saw your tweet before we started <laughs> recording. Yeah, I don't know. He's yelling at some poor woman about letting his friends do whatever they want to the Sydney Opera House. For our international listeners, how would you describe um, Alan Jones and sort of why you're so incensed without going into the full details? Um, He's an old gas bag dickhead who's on talkback radio, but the only people that listen to him are 75-year-old cadavers. (laughs) Um, He's got a lot of opinions. He thinks he's the voice of the people. If the people are all, I don't know, billionaires. Old, white, rich men. Yeah. Who would have thought an old, white man would be a piece of shit? Huh. Not me. No. Yeah. New one every day. <laughs> okay. Let's get They're in. born every second. <laughs> Back 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. Time for Off Topic Hot Topic. Off Topic Hot Topic. That's whatever you were talking about for you. Off Topic Hot Topic is our news and views segment, where we get to talk about the headlines of the TV world and discuss the stuff we've been watching that isn't this week's season of television. If you'd like to contribute a topic or story to Off Topic Hot Topic, please do. And you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at huntingseasonscast. Some news in fuller. I haven't got a thing for that yet, but I want it one day. No, you don't get one because that sounded really good. That was spot on. Excellent. Uh, Just an update on what we were talking about last week. You might remember that there were rumours around um, American Gods Season 2 about production problems. Well, Neil Gaiman uh, and American Gods cast debunk Season 2 drama. Um, So, this comes from the Daily Dot. I've not really been to the Daily Dot much. I don't know how reputable they are as sources, but apparently they did an interview with um, Gaiman before New York Comic Con, which is where this comes from. Interesting. I'll read this out quickly. Gaiman characterized the latest report from Hollywood Reporter, the one we read last week, Mm -hmm. of behind-the-scenes turmoil as bullshit. Uh, but he and the cast acknowledge that the show scraped the season two, sorry, scrapped the season two finale because the original wasn't quite right. Quote, what happened was we had a script for the finale that didn't work, Gaiman said in a roundtable interview. And rather than rush it through, um, we said, okay, so we stopped and we got the script right and went uh, and we, sorry, and then we shot it, which meant that everything was three or four weeks delayed. 
And that was fine because we had reshoots and things that needed to be done anyway from earlier in the season because you always do. So we shot them, did the reshoots, and we did whatever else we needed to do in the pickups and we started shooting the season two finale. According to Orlando Jones, who plays Mr. Nancy, one of my favorite characters um, from the first season, something similar happened while making the first season with the original showrunners, Brian Fuller, hence the segment, and Michael Green, but it turned out all right. We have the luxury of people who care enough to let us go back and get it right, Jones said. And we are in a fight with each other to get it right, but because everyone's focused on trying to do it justice, we're lucky that Neil kind of steps in and goes, and I think it's this, and suddenly it all falls into place. That's the quote. Uh, does that read correct? Does that sound like people trying to... Um... I mean, I love the good intentions, mm-hmm. but also like it sounds like everyone's just bad at their job if they're constantly having to go back and do that. It's weird. It, it, it is interesting because you would expect the scripts to be uh, sort of at least have an idea of where things are going. It depends how strong mm-hmm. your writer's room is. It depends on, depends on a lot of different things. Obviously, the show evolves as you're making it, but to get to your season finale and just go... Oh, this doesn't work at all. Let's start again. Seems a little. I don't know. That seems awful. Like I don't. That sounds badly run. Yeah, it, I don't know. I don't know. Things 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 are weird. There are reshoots and all sorts of shows. And one of the things that happened, reshoots, sure, not having to like start from scratch on your finale episode. That's bizarre to me. If it's true that it happened in season one, I wonder how often this does happen. Where you get well, I mean. Discovery, although Star Trek Discovery is not the best example. No. But that was a show where they sort of got halfway through and I think had to do a lot of rejiggering. Thanks, Fuller. Um, there was another show with, oh, Westworld did that too. They sort of got halfway through their season, first season and went, no, let's stop for a bit and mm. do some further writing. And that worked well for season one. Yeah, but that was like, oh, we've got a, a better understanding of the plan. That Like three or four episodes in? Changed their where they were going to end up, did it, and then went all the way through, full steam ahead, no stopping since then. Yeah, and season two was awful. Yeah, it was crap. <laughs> so uh, what I'm saying is teams that tend to do this, yeah. it doesn't end well for a show. Yeah, I don't know. We They report on this stuff all the time. One of the things, it happens in movies especially, you go, oh, there are reshoots taking place for such and such. And sometimes that's significant. Suicide Squad, I think, is a good example of a, of a movie that, so much of that film was reshot. Han Solo, the, sorry, the Solo, a Star Wars story was another example. That was big changes in like directors and stuff. Mm. And then you see them happening for like Infinity War or I don't know, other tentpole, especially superhero films or Star Wars, even the main ones. And they're kind of just part of the process now. I don't know. It's interesting stuff. We will see. Yeah, no, I think the reshoots is one thing. Yeah. Entirely scrapping something and making something different is what I have an issue with. Um, what's interesting as well is this has all come out around the same time, well, since we discussed this last week, American God Season 2 has had a teaser trailer release, um, which I would highly recommend checking out, actually. It looks nice, but te- teaser trailers are going to just put in flashy, fun bits and go, oh, mm. yeah, that looks like it's going to be cool. It does. It looks cool. Uh, let's move on then. I'm going to run through a couple of headlines just because actually a lot of news happened this week in TV and movies. And then we're going to talk a lot or a little bit more about a couple of things. Um, just a couple of quick headlines. The next season of Black Mirror will have a Choose Your Own Adventure episode. Apparently, that's something Netflix has been wanting to do with one of its shows for a while. Cool. Um, Chelsea Peretti is leaving Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. It's a bit sad. Um, moving on to bigger and better things, hopefully. Uh, Amazon locks down Neil Gaiman um, for a see a full season of Wheel of Time, which is a popular book series, I think. So that's sure. big. 
Um, this is interesting as well for another one we're going to get to in a second. Um, but there seems like since Game of Thrones is about to come to an end, there's a big push for fantasy series. We know the Lord of the Rings one's coming out with Amazon. Mm-hmm. Now they've got a Wheel of Time one as well. And there's mm-hmm. one that Netflix are about to pick up, which we'll talk about in a second. We will. That, uh, yeah, there's people want to fill that Game of Thrones void, I think. Uh, today it was announced that James Gunn is set to write and maybe direct Suicide Squad 2. Well done, Disney. You played yourself. Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who debut, debut, sorry, a debut hit um, and a 10-year rating high for the show, which is pretty big news. 10 years? 10-year rating high. The biggest since um, David Tennant, Mm. though his admittedly was a Christmas special, which tend to get higher ratings anyway. So that's a pretty big deal, which is cool. Have you seen the first episode of Doctor New Doctor Who yet? Um, yeah, I love how you pretend like we haven't spoken about I it I can't remember because we've been in a group chat and I can't remember who said what. Wow, um, that hurts <laughs> a lot. Um, yes, I've watched it. And what did you think? Uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I thought, I mean, I watched it with two people that hadn't watched Doctor Who before. Oh, that's right. No, I remember saying this. Yeah, I was I've moved, as we spoke about last week, I moved in with new housemates and... We had finished having dinner and I was like, oh, I'm going to go watch Doctor Who. And they're like, oh, can we watch it? Because they they knew that it was a, a woman playing the Doctor. So we all sat down and watched it. And it was really fun being able to jump in with people who had no idea really what it was about at all. Mm-hmm. Watching them have a bit of a giggle, excited, scared. Um, yeah, I think it did a great job of showcasing the show's potential to new viewers. Yep. I don't think the episode was particularly groundbreaking for yeah. a Doctor Who episode at all. Yeah. I think it was pretty by the numbers, but I think that's probably a really smart decision knowing that a lot of people are probably going to be jumping in at this point. Yeah, deliberately, I think it strips back a lot of the lore elements of Doctor Who because it's going to mm. introduce them bit by bit, I think. If yep. you've never watched Doctor Who before or have left for a while mm. and want to come back to it or try it for the first time, I'd actually really highly recommend this episode. It's a great place to jump in. And if you're a listener of this podcast, do it because we're going to be talking about the season once it's over as well. Um, so, follow along, listeners. But I that reminds me, I should start taking notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good to know. Um, the but I agree. Well, not my favorite episode, of Doctor Who, very by the numbers mm. sort of stuff. But um, yeah, a really good one for new people. Did they? Do you think they like the show? Do you think they want to watch further? And do you want to watch more of Jodie Whittaker's Doctor? I can imagine that. I mean, I'm obviously going to be watching it week to week mm-hmm. and in the lounge room on my great big beautiful TV. So mm-hmm. I would assume that they'll probably join me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, neither of them, probably one of my housemates isn't a huge sci-fi fan. Sure. So I'm not sure if he'll be totally attached to it. But my housemate, good friend Joseph, uh, Jojo, he, I have a feeling he might... Uh, yeah, be into it. So, we'll see. Cool. I'll let you know. Excellent. Uh, the first image of Ruby Rose as Batwoman hit the internet today. I sent that to you as a good morning wake up. Do you notice I didn't respond to I it? I did notice that. <laughs> Not impressed? Well, it made me grumpy. I was walking to the tram stop and I was just like, fuck off. Great way to start your day. Yeah, you're like, good morning. Here's a picture of something shit. I'm like, sweet. Look, I'm being very harsh. I just, <laughs> it's a still image of a... It just... <laughs> I wish I cared is what yeah. makes me sad it, I, because I I think she's a cool character and, I yeah, I wish I was excited about it because it was actually a cool image, but just the fact that it's Ruby Rose just is so disappointing. That me. is the thing. You look at it, I'm like, that. they are actually going for the version of Batwoman that I've come to know to be because it's Batgirl and Batwoman and they have mm-hmm. very different sort of styles yes. and that sort of striking red hair and the 
very pale skin, red yeah. lips and black mouth. And it's all there. I'm like, oh, cool. They're really mm. going that's for that That's the only like Batwoman that I I know of. Because so that's the one that I've read. Yeah. yeah. And that's the Batwoman, as in this version of Batwoman, the actual, you know, how the, the persona. Yeah. Real, it's that version. Yes, it same is. Same person. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Um, trailers for Making a Murderer Season 2, Good Omen Season 1 and American Gods, as we mentioned, are currently out. Okay. Let's get some more interesting stuff or deeper stuff. Ooh. Netflix to develop the Chronicles of Narnia across multiple TV and film projects. Mm-hmm. How are you a fan of the Chronicles of Narnia, of the Wine, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Damask? Is this something you're excited for? Um, I mean, my history with these books is that my dad really loved them because he really loves Jesus, and he's like, "You should read these." Because I almost snorted them. <laughs> <laughs> it was about to be Coke Zero all over me. How dare you? Um, yeah, and then I was like, eh, it's about like a talking lion. That's lame, Dad. I'm going to go to my room and read Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, and then like the the movies came out and I was like too into Harry Potter. I was like, they're lame. That's Harry Potter for nerds. <laughs> for Christian nerds. Right. So I've, I've, I have no real relationship with it. Am I kind of excited about like because with this the shows slash movies or whatever they're coming out, it's going to be across all of his books, which I didn't realize. Yeah, which kind of I was like, oh, this is going to be like like really in depth, fully like full fantasy. I was like, I could kind of be into that. Like, do, we, do we know where they're starting? Do we know if they're starting with the one? No, Witch I the don't believe we know yet. Okay. No, it's interesting because obviously there was the Chronicles of Narnia, Line the Witch in the Wardrobe. With Tilda Swinton and uh, who played Mr. Tumnus? It was um, James McAvoy, I think. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and that I remember like, quite enjoying that movie. I think I saw it. I saw it at the cinemas and maybe watched it on DVD another time. And it was it was all yeah, right. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah. And then there were multiple. I think I just found the kids annoying because I was like, I don't, I don't care about any of you. You seem really Shh. dull. Sure. And then Santa was in it though. It gave them all weapons. It was pretty badass. Santa was in it. Santa's in it. Yeah. What? Santa's in it. When? Santa, there's a bit in the middle of the movie where he shows up and like, here's a bunch of presents, here's a bow for you and a sword for you. I don't you. remember Santa at all. Yeah, Santa's in there. Oh, all right. Got to rewatch it, clearly. <laughs> the uh, I never read the book. The, the funny thing is, I'm pretty sure I've had the line, the witch in the, ward, so the line, the witch in the wardrobe read to me in like grade five or six or something like that. Is that because you can't read? Probably. Yeah. No, it was the li- it was in the li- like a library thing. It was right. uh, yeah, part yeah. of schooling. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, obviously, I, I had seen the BBC version of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from like the mid '90s. I want to say, with like the mechanical Aslan and stuff like puppet Aslan. It was Ooh. great. It's so that sounds really cool. Actually. It actually is pretty great, pretty cool. But again, this is nostalgia me remembering yeah. it. I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, so this will be like the third on-screen version of this. These stories I can mm. remember. The movie ones, yes, yeah, saw the first one. Never saw any of the sequels, I don't think. Yeah, me either. I had very little interest in it. Because they were being made by Disney and then they just sort of just dissipated just into I nothing. Think, yeah. Yeah, there was the something of the Dawn Treader, I think. And the then Prince of Persia. Pri- Prince Caspian or something <laughs> like, like that, like I that. think. And I never saw any of them. And obviously, less and less people were watching them because mm. they stopped making them. They were planning to do the whole lot and they just oh, really? stopped. Oh, wow. So this is an opportunity to. I guess start again. Yeah, I think I'm ready for a good version, I guess. I think I'm willing to jump into the world. I'm not opposed to it like I was when I was a prejudiced 
I don't know, 14 year old or however old I was when it came out. My biggest concern is that we are going to be oversaturated with, as I was just saying before, fantasy shows that are trying to. That is not my concern. That's not your problem? No, no. I, I th- Bring on the fantasy. Got no problems with it. I, I like fantasy too, but I do think it can be. Because this happened uh, after happens after Harry Potter. It happened after Lord of the Rings. Whenever there's a massive hit in those genres, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's a bunch of other like similar type. I think even Chronicles of Narnia might have been in response to the Lord of the Rings more than Harry Potter when they released those movies. Or yeah, as it was much probably like others. someone's like, it's the perfect combination of both of exactly those things. Exactly right. Mm. And so we're going to have this and then the Wheel of Time series or whatever it was I was talking about before. Well, and I don't think it's was... really stopped since Lord of the Rings. It's just continued, right? Do you think? I think it has like ups and downs, but I think it's pretty much just continued. I'm trying to think what the last fantasy film I saw was. Well, we're talking Cause... about like movies and TV. Sure, but even like, uh, yeah, we've had Game of Thrones. Mm. But that's a it's a very different tone and that'd be the closest thing we've had. But that didn't, I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's... Then what are you saying then if I'm, you're like, oh, I'm, if this is I'm because saying, of Game of Thrones? What, what we have is a spike with something like Lord of the Rings mm. and then everything tries to yeah. fill that void. And then we get it gets oversaturated and people aren't watching them. And then finally something will come along that will work. And then Game of Thrones is about to end. And then there's going to be a saturation of everything trying to eat. Game of Thrones is lunch. Yeah, that's I'm exactly what I'm going, saying. I'm saying it's but, up and downs, but I don't think it's but I'm worried, I think it's got... Well, there'll always be fantasy films, mm. but it depends like what intensity is this stuff coming out in. Right. Are we having heaps of it or are we getting... Because like before Lord of the Rings, what were the fantasy films coming out? No idea. Nothing probably. Yeah. I don't think there was really anything really. Mm. Nothing on that scale, certainly. That's why I'm saying it's out of Lord of the Rings, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, it's... I just, yeah, I'm expecting that we're going to get to a point and go... There's too many fantasy shows. They all feel very similar. Some of them are going to die on the vine and all of a sudden fantasy is not going to be viable anymore. It'll disappear mm. until something like something else comes along when it's quietened down again and then it's a hit and then once again we'll be oversaturated. It just, yeah. it's, it's I a mean, cycle. it's going to happen with superhero films and every other thing. that comes. They keep saying that about superhero films though, it's but it's been 10 years now. 10 years. And freaking Venom made $80 million in its opening it's weekend. It's been 10 years of... Game of Thrones, hasn't it? It's been a fucking long time, It's right? been about eight years, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's Venom. Venom. I do not know. I don't know a single person who's seen it, but it made $80 million in its opening weekend. Is it already out? Yeah, yeah. It came oh. out, came out well, on Thursday go. last week. And just, I don't, it apparently, yeah, cycles are disappearing. Superheroes is going to live forever now. Um, let's move on then. One more story. John Favreau shares details and title for his new, very Western-sounding Star Wars show. So he uh, released this via his own personal Instagram account. The title of the show is The Mandalorian. Um, and he quotes uh, quote from uh, John Favreau. After the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior emerges in the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian is set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order. We follow the uh, follow the, his travels. The, sorry, the travels of a lone gun ranger in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. So, what do we know about this? About a Mandalorian. So when you think of Boba Fett and Jango Fett, you think about their weird buckethead mm-hmm. characters. It's another one of those, not mm-hmm. necessarily directly related by bloodline, but from the same race. Um, and it takes place between episode six and seven. And it's about one character, a lone gun ranger, very westerny, set in space, 
on the edge of the galaxy. Sort of sounds a bit Fireflyish. Except I was that was my thought as well. Yeah, I'm interested. Me too. Yeah, I'm interested. I like, I look forward to seeing what the supporting cast is going to look like. Definitely, I'm interested in a, for. There's a lot of other details about this that we should get to that make it interesting as well. Particularly some of the talent behind. Who's making it? So we know John Favreau, mm-hmm. who I personally like quite a lot, Iron Man and The Jungle Book and so forth. Um, but here are some of the directors who have been tapped to be in this: Star Wars TV show books Taika Waititi, Bryce Dallas Howard, and Bryce Dallas Howard as directors. Hmm. Um, Rick, excuse me, I get this wrong. Famuyiwa. No, Deborah Chow and Dave Filoni are also among the helmers that will direct the Mandalorian, the first Star Wars live action series. So, Filoni, if you don't know, um, he's been a long. He's pronounced felony. <laughs> has been uh, connected to Star Wars for a long time. He was the director or sort of the showrunner behind the Clone Wars and the Star Wars Rebels TV series. Oh, I thought, yeah, right, that makes sense. And for a lot of people, they consider him to be one of the sort of better sort of Star Wars lore storytellers who Mm -hmm. are still making stuff outside the movies. He's actually got a lot of respect within sort of the Star Wars canon, which is pretty cool. So, it's interesting to see him doing live action stuff. Mm. That's cool. Waititi, obviously, uh, the guy who directed Thor Ragnarok and What We Do in the Shadows and is fucking great Mm -hmm. and is really excited to see him. sense. Definitely love his, uh, (laughs) what are they called, rompers Mm -hmm. that he has? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool guy. Loves to sleep on set, apparently. Good uh, he's po- he's now in post on Jojo Rabbit, a satire set in Nazi Germany in which he also plays Adolf Hitler. I'd watch that. There you go. In a second. Chow has worked on a range of genre television from episodes of Rain, of Rain and Fear at The Walking Dead, sorry, Fear the Walking Dead, to Iron Fist, Jessica Jones and Lost in Space. So, a lot of uh, experience there. Mm. I've, liked, I've liked episodes of those different shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Howard is best known for acting um, in the Jurassic World movies and The Help. Um, she has in recent years branched out oh, into directing shorts. Oh, don't forget The Village. The Village from <laughs> way back when. The blind girl in The Village and also Ron Howard's daughter. That's, She's done heaps. She was in the la- latest season of uh, Arrested Development. <laughs> who, do, who is she in that? Oh, she I was don't herself. Care. Was she? They go to Ron Howard's house. Oh, that's house. right. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, I'm excited by this sort of stuff. What about you? Um, yeah, I mean, you just read a bunch of names at me that I don't really know. But... You knew, well, how do you, Bryce Dallas Howard, does that make oh, you excited? Oh, let's go all? back into it. Um, I mean, I don't know. Yes, yes, I am excited, but I need, I need more than just director's names. Sure, yeah. sure. I, I look at that list and it's varied in its, their experience and their styles. And that's mm-hmm. exciting that it's mm-hmm. going to be, yeah, the, the sort of people they're tapping for this. Um, are not just well known, but um, bring a lot of different sort of flavors to the to the show. So I'm excited by that. I um, this apparently will stream on Disney's yet to be officially announced streaming surface. It's meant to be coming next year. So get ready to have to pay for I'm another running subscription. Out of money. <laughs> I'm so poor. Do you know how expensive this house is? It's ridiculous. I can't. I'm, I'm gonna have to give up something. <laughs> I'll just give, give pirate up TV. everything. I'm not going to give up TV. Um, the, I'll just stop feeding my cat. Just a quick side note. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> Did you hear that Foxtel are raising their prices on Foxtel now? So it's That's been, hilarious yeah. because it's fucking useless. <laughs> up from 15 was the base one. It's going up to 25 or already has apparently. 
Anyway. That's laughable. Damask, do you have uh, anything you'd like to talk about today before I we move do. on? I do. I've got a reality check, folks. Reality check. Check. Reality check. You're killing it with these bumpers Thank tonight. You. So good. Who needs Lucas? Go on. <laughs> so I'm talking about The Bachelor Australia. Now, for our international listeners, there aren't many Aussie versions of American reality shows I would recommend. But the latest season of Australia's The Bachelor is one of them. And 99% of my reasoning for that is that it is full of Australiana, mate. The Bachelor this season is a fully ochre rugby player with a tree trunk for a neck and the world's most unfortunate haircut. He's an unconventional Bachelor, but he's good value and seems like a pretty swell dude. This season in particular is fab. We have some truly heinous high school bullies, which is a trope of the show. It's both stressful and hilarious. But there has been a huge controversy with this season. And skip ahead, probably a minute or two if you don't want spoilers. So the last two episodes of the season, sorry, season, were full of drama. Do you know about the drama, Broderick? I I have heard about the drama. Twitter, even though I do not watch the show, (laughs) let me know very... Very promptly, what was happening. Go on. All right. Well, the season favourite and the girl I'd picked to win it from the beginning. I'm glad I didn't put any bets on it. Her name was Brooke. She was all set to take home her beefed up trophy. Nick and Brooke were clearly super into one another. And I think it would have been shocking to everyone if Nick didn't choose her at the end. But as they entered the final three, Brooke bowed out. She needed confirmation from Nick that he was definitely into her. And it was an awkward conversation because he literally said nothing. He just kind of sat there as she cried. It was very strange since before that um, they had been very loving, very cute. Um, Yeah, he just kind of blinked and then his talking head went on and on about how the right thing to do was let her go despite being really into her. It's a great impression, by the way, for those who haven't seen it. Um, It didn't make sense to me. It felt bizarre. I was just kind of screaming at the TV, like, why don't you just say something? You don't have to, like, shit on the other women. Just be like, oh, no, I really do like you. I Please stay. Uh, So that was weird. Um, but it started to make sense after the finale aired. So he's got the final two birds. They're both pretty cool. Um, though I was fully team Sophie, who is the cutest, and I would happily take her out sometime if she is in any way interested. <laughs> Call me. Uh, anyway, Nick spends some individual time with the girls before he makes his big decision. At the final rose ceremony, Sophie is the first to arrive, which um, you probably don't know this, bro. But uh, in Bachelor World, the first girl to arrive, that means that she doesn't win because right. obviously she's let down first. It's never the other way around. They've never, like, subverted that or... Not in my living memory. Sure. <laughs> but it's, uh, I've, I've been patchy with The Bachelor and Bachelor. Sure, sure, though. sure. Um, so I was pretty shocked and sad about that. The poor dear looked devastated as Nick gave her a super short little speech about only wanting to commit to someone that he definitely loved. So she struts off and... I didn't strut really, more of just like a little trot, a sad trot. A sad trot. Yeah, um, like a sad little pony. And she looked absolutely devo. Then Brittany arrives, meaning that she is the winner. And Nick begins his speech, which is verbatim the exact same speech he just gave to Sophie. So the guy dumps two girls in one afternoon and can't even be bothered 
thinking of a personalised message. Uh, So after watching this season for what felt like, I don't know, five billion years, Nick decides to be single. Uh, What? Uh, So which now makes sense looking back on the season because of course he didn't tell Brooke to stay because he actually didn't want a commitment which begs the question, why the fuck are you on The Bachelor, you moron? Um, look, I'm a little bothered about the situation because I would love to be The Bachelor. Call me, Channel 10. Um, if you've got, I think it's like 14 birds that want to hang out with me, I'm open to it. I'm ready for commitment. I'm ready for love. Yeah, so that was, uh, it was pretty anticlimactic when after weeks and weeks and weeks, The Bachelor goes, oh, I just think I need to go and find myself. It's fucking shit. Anyway, that's what happened when The Bachelor Australia. So I want to I want to just quickly dive into this because there's mm. been some interesting reactions to yes. this. A lot of people who are watching the show obviously very upset. A lot of people from the outside <laughs> sort of going, "Well, normally this sort of ends with them pretending to be together for three months and they break up anyway. Mm-hmm. Isn't this just a more honest version of that? If he doesn't choose anybody, like I'm sorry, if I wanted honesty." I date in real life. <laughs> that's not that's, why I'm watching The Bachelor. That's an excellent it's point. It's entirely fantasy. Sure. Once again, fantasy flooding the market. <laughs> um, you yeah, know, that's not what I want. I want. I want drama, but I want satisfying drama. Sure. Uh, so my other question is: mm. did, did how does the show like end? They have this moment where he dumps them both, right? Mm-hmm. Is there an extended, like, talk interview with him explaining sort of, you know, I came on thinking I was ready for commitment, but the whole thing mm. was like... Well, he did um, an interview, I believe, on the Sunday version of The Project, which is for international listeners. It's like a panel talk show thing yeah. that's meant to be funny, but I don't know. It's The View, but at night and, like, sort of thing. Pretty liberal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so apparently he did something on that. He, like they interviewed him and then they also interviewed a few of the last, I think the final four contestants. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the preview of that. There's lots of tears, lots of tears from the ladies. They were all very confused, all distraught. Um, and Nick was just like, yeah, just, you know, I knew I'd have to hurt someone. And I just thought it was better to break their heart then than wait a few months, which rational, but also like boring. But he didn't. He didn't say that on the show. Like there was no. I don't know. It feels like if I was if I was the producer of The Bachelor, mm. I wouldn't just. Oh, he doesn't choose anyone. The end. I would want to go like like ask the questions. Why were you on the show? If this is how you felt, or sort yeah, of that's what, what happened they should have done. They should have done like a, a shocking expose. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They should have done that, but that's that's not what they did. They didn't do that. It was just like no. oh, the end of the, the Bachelor end. season, whatever. All right. Although actually. The ending that I really enjoyed yep. was, so Brittany, the girl who you think is going to win, she's in the back of like the limo or whatever. And she's like, he's like, she's like, oh, so he didn't choose anyone. And the producer's like, no, no, I didn't choose anyone. And she's like, does Sophie know? And they're like, no, she's back at the hotel. And she's like, so Sophie thinks that like she's been rejected. And so Brittany immediately, she's like, take me to the hotel. I have to see Sophie. And so you see her like arrive at the hotel and the girls just like comfort each other and like best friends forever. I've actually seen that. And then they start scissoring. I think that might be in yours. That's my fan fiction. Fan fiction version. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. I did see the clip of her arriving and like. Yeah. And like just like, yeah, he dumped me too. And she's just like. What? 
what? <laughs> and just like going through like the what? Yeah. So he did choose And then you. Im- I loved immediately. They were like, oh, there must be something wrong with him. Yeah, yeah there's something wrong with him. I'm like, well, I've had the that conversation with friends. Sounds very lonely, this yeah. guy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I was going to do a little talk about having seen the 1978 version of Halloween uh, oh, for the first yes. time. Um but maybe we run out of time. That's all right. We need to move on. It was very we good. We can do though. that another week. It was, it was yeah. in, oh, maybe I'll do it before. I'll try and see the new one. Yeah. Which is coming out, I think, in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. The apparently, because Halloween has like 10 sequels or something like that over the last 40 years, this new one erases all the sequels in a direct sequel to the first one. <laughs> so we got to the end of this. I was watching this Halloween 978 with my girlfriend. And like, oh, how many more films do we need to watch before we can watch the sequel? Zero. <laughs> Beautiful. Be at the cinemas in two weeks. That's I'll how you get me. people to jump in. That's a great Just idea. Just like, you don't have to do any work. No okay. work. Watch one movie yeah. and then you can come and say it. Love we'll talk that. about that in a future episode. In the meantime, let's get to our spoiler-free review of Maniac. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Maniac is an American psychological drama comedy series based on the Norwegian television series of the same name that premiered on September 21, 2018 on Netflix. The series, created by Patrick Somerville, writer of The Leftovers, and directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga, director of True Detective Season 1 and Beasts of No Nation, follows two strangers who connect during a mind-bending pharmaceutical trial. It stars Emma Stone, Jonah Hill, Justin Theroux, Sonoya Mizuno, and Sally Field. Maniac Season 1 consists of 10 episodes, averaging in 38 minutes in length, but varying from 29 to 47 minutes, and took us approximately 6 hours and 25 minutes to watch. There are currently no plans for a second season, with Kerry Fukunaga explicitly stating he would not return if there was. So, um, what was it about Maniac that uh, had you interested in seeing it? The cast, Mm -hmm. for one. Um... I watched the trailer and I was like, well, this looks weird and cool. Um, but other than that, I didn't really know much about it. I just, it was a cool new Netflix show and I was down for it. Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer. I don't even know where it appeared, whether it was one of my emails or actually when I was scanning through Netflix and just the look of the show and the trailer caught my eye. Had a very um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. feel to it, which I'm a yeah. big fan of that film. Um, I was like, oh, this sounds really cool. And then saw that Kerry Fukunaga was directing it. I was like, okay, go mm-hmm. check this out. Because I was a big fan of True Detective Season 1. Yeah, that was great. Um, and hadn't really seen much else that he was doing. So, I was excited to check out something new. So, with all that in mind, Damask, could you please give us your spoiler-free review of Maniac Season 1? Yes, ma'am. So, this show is weird and it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I won't shove it down your throat if it's not your jam. But I liked it. I was willing to go on this journey. I was willing to take the time to let it unfold. And I was willing to be confused until things were explained to me. I wasn't in a rush to watch this show. It was an experience. So, the show doesn't hold your hand, which becomes super satisfying the further you head down the rabbit hole. The more info you're able to collect yourself, the more rewarding the experience is. It's clear within the second episode, particularly for me, that one of these characters is going to be more engaging than the other, and that might put some people off. It didn't bother me too much, though. Emma Stone is an incredibly engaging performer, both in drama and comedy. Jonah Hill plays Owen, who is so repressed he doesn't have much opportunity to shine. 
but he also just isn't as good as Emma Stone. I feel free to disagree, but I don't think they're in the same calibre. It's not really a question, that one. <laughs> but, you know, he does a fine job. Justin Thoreau pulls out a performance that is very on brand. He's a total weirdo and flaps about in every scene, and it fills me with absolute delight. <laughs> the production design is Blade Runner meets Terry Gilliam meets Fifth Element meets Wes Anderson, and that fits tonally too, I think, bizarrely enough. Uh, it, it, the show truly is a bizarre indulgence. I think it's a great show to watch with someone else so that you can revel in the bizarre hilarity and tragedy of each episode. It plays with genre in a way that has me giddy. It's not perfect, but it's certainly a fun vacation from the typical fair. Also, Sally Field is in it, which makes me indescribably happy. What about you, Brad? Extremely similar, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, a very enjoyable, if not quite as mind-blowing as expected psychological sci-fi story. I think the trailer promised a lot, and part of it is my own expectation. Mm. I, it seemed to be selling this very Michelle Gondry type, um, as I said, Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind thing. Mm-hmm. It has some of that, but maybe it doesn't go as far as I as expected. And um, I think some critics felt the same way. Yeah. We're maybe expecting something a little more... Weird or like it is weird, but it actually, you know what? It's kind of more goofy than weird. Does that make that's sense? what like that whole fifth element vibe for yeah, me. Like, fifth element is yeah, a really good quite, way of putting it. Yeah, and I agreed with when you said Wes Anderson type mm. thing as well. And there's a few other uh, names you mentioned there. And I think all of those tones are in there. Mm. Um, fifth element's actually a really good. It's camp fun. Yeah, mm. it, it that's exactly what it's like. Um, yeah, but uh, overall, I really liked it for what it was, uh, could definitely be criticised and some have of sort of being another 10-hour movie. Like, this is starting to be a trend, mm-hmm. um, especially with miniseries or we did End of the Fucking World earlier mm, in the year. Great miniseries. Which was great. And almost, the episodes are so short, it almost just was a three-hour movie yeah, cut up into true. a thing. Mm. And this is a bit like that, though, extended over six hours. Um, but I enjoyed its playfulness, its goofy mood. Um and I loved the world, or worlds, you might even argue, of this show very much. And even though it was extended over a long period of time, I kind of just enjoyed it luxuriating in that at that pace. So, if this were shorter, I think it would work as a um, two, two, two and a half hour movie. Mm-hmm. But it, you wouldn't get to just sort of revel in its style. Sit and play with it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. and just mm-hmm. sort of soak it in, which mm-hmm. I got to do with this. And I again, I think I understand why people maybe felt a little restless watching it, wanting it to do more or be mm. more or, I don't know, be weirder or be faster. But I really just enjoyed it. And it was interesting what you were saying about watching it with somebody else. Mm. Is exactly how I did it. It was yeah. Steph and I, she was interested. We started watching it and one or two episodes in, we were just like, I'm really enjoying this. And came back the next day, watched a couple more episodes, mm-hmm. and over the course of the week, watched it together. That's exactly what I did too. And yeah. it was a really great way to watch it. Mm-hmm. And Steph, sometimes our tastes are very different. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm obviously talking about Marvel and stuff in the past, big into like my superhero films and stuff like that, as well as more serious stuff. And she couldn't care less about that. <laughs> so, finding a show that we're both enjoying together is mm-hmm. a great thing. And so, it was awesome to just watch that with her. Um, Emma Stone and Jonah Hill do great work, though I 100% agree. Emma Stone is by far the better uh, performer of the two. Though I I like what Jonah Hill's doing a lot of the time. Yeah, most of the time I'm like, yeah, cool. Sometimes it's I'm less impressed. Yeah. (laughs) And even Owen, his character, sort of, not to give spoilers, but his baseline character is purposefully sort of... Blank. Mm-hmm. He's very sort of um, 
He's got he doesn't have much texture to him. No. I and mean, he's so repressed, he's barely a person. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's purposeful, but it, mm-hmm. when it's extended over a long period of time, can be a little bit like, could you give me something more here? Um, but Jonah Hill does get a lot of stuff to do, ultimately, um, and a lot of that is very good. I uh, particularly liked uh, Snorri. Um, but I actually found myself most impressed with Justin Throw and Sonoya Mizuno um, and Sally Field, obviously. So, while our main story is definitely focused on Emma Stone, Jonah Hill... The sort of secondary B story around that, mm. I found almost more enjoyable for some reason. There was something mm. yeah, really, no, really fun to bite into there. Um, I also want to give special mention to the art direction and soundtrack, mm. uh, particularly the stuff in sort of this show's New York City. Mm-hmm. I really like what they're doing with that there. And I don't want to spoil... There's actually detail to that that we'll get to in spoilers. Um, but they have a lot of fun with that. And I really like that this version of New York City that we're getting in, in the show. And the soundtrack too was, was really fun. Um, this sort of um, dark, psychologically strange, almost electronic... I don't know, very uneasy sort of soundtrack, but but playful as well, like the show is, ultimately. Um, as I said, watch this over the course of a week. It was an absolute delight. It won't be for everybody, as you said, and I think if you're not loving it sort of within the first couple of episodes, you're probably not going to, even no. though it does have a few tonal shifts ahead of that. I don't think you're going if to... You, if you're not liking it pretty early on, maybe not for you. Yeah, I think if you're waiting for it to do the thing that you expected it to do or want it to do it's probably not going to do that so yeah it's yeah it's it's different and mm-hmm. like you said it definitely stands out as being unique in the current world of you know mm-hmm. golden tel- age of television that we're in um and yeah i'm not going to come away from this saying it's my favorite thing on tv mm-hmm. but i really appreciate it for what it is and yeah. um it's unique in how it mashes a bunch of things that we are very familiar with together like, people can be like, oh, well, actually, it's not that unique because it's just taking this, this, and this. But totally. I think that's, like, that's part of the fun is, like, turning on an episode and experience, for me anyway, mm-hmm. because it, like, it's tapping into things that I love, experiencing a buffet of things that I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, like, that buffet that you're talking about is great. And yet, for me, the, the story around that mm-hmm. that sort of frames it all, I found to be... Oh, no, that's part of the buffet. Oh, you feel that as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the fact that we get a bunch of different shows in one, and I'm not talking about the the sole narrative of the two main characters, but also what is around it. Yeah, Mm. yeah. It's it's pretty confident in what it's doing. And it's just... I think it's it's having fun and some throwing some ideas against the wall and not all of them necessarily stick. But I don't know. I was along for the ride with the show. Yeah. Yeah. Final score, Damask, what would you give this out of five stars? I think i give it a 3.5. Cool. A high 3.5. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it, but it's it's an experiment. So there are there are some failures there or it doesn't quite um, nail it every time. But, I yeah, I enjoyed it. It was solid and I think it's something – it's certainly something that should be rewatched. Uh, I'm looking forward to rewatching it. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be fun every time mm-hmm. I do that. Um, yeah, it's a, a solid outing of TV. What about you? I'm going to give it four out of five stars. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think sometimes they say, oh, high four, low four. I'm like, four is spot on where yeah, I feel about this. Yeah, mine's a high 3.5. Yeah. yeah. It, um, rewatching it would be interesting. I actually think there are some parts of it I might 
zone out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there are other bits I'm really looking forward to seeing a second time around mm. and really putting sort of my attention and energy into and taking what I know by the end of the series into the start of it and so forth. Um, no, definitely recommend it. But yeah, give it a chance. And if it's not for you, move on, I think would be my recommendation. Mm-hmm. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, whatever podcast podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning! On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of Maniac. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Maniac up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been Been warned! What the lady said. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. So one of the things I want to talk about first, just go back to sort of what we were talking about before spoilers, that mixed critical reception that was out there. Mm. I, I was, it's funny, I had people who I thought were going to enjoy this seemed to not be too hot on it. Other people um, seemed to really be really enjoying as much as I was. Mm. And it's always a weird place where I was watching going, oh, I'm really enjoying this. Why, is it, why aren't more people? Mm. And I really do think expectations were a part of it. It was interesting, this idea that it wasn't weird enough, that we've got multiple like these dream realities that people are in and the total zaniness of what's happening in the lab with uh, Mantle Ray and Fujita and Gertie or the the AI computer Greta well there's Greta and then there's Gertie I think the Gertie was the was the robot or the the AI they were using and like um all that's there Mm. and yet people it's like not weird enough it's like yeah it's like you can't have like weird goofy filmmaking and still make it palatable for general people, the general audience, that's, like, insulting for some reason. For, like, for if you're an auteur, you can't make something like that that, yeah. that is accessible, I guess, or that yeah, leans into yeah. conventions and doesn't necessarily try to subvert them um, and also almost just points out how kind of strange those conventions are. But yeah, it doesn't try to change them. It's like, well, actually, they're kind of there because they work and they are a useful tool in narrative. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I expected it to be weird, particularly watching the first episode. I was like, oh, maybe this is one of those shows that I'm just not going to, 
understand maybe it's going to be like a Twin Peaks situation because there is like a lot of times in that first episode where I'm like, wait, what's happening? Like with ad buddies and stuff and, you know, got friends, surrogates and I'm just like, what is, Hmm? what's going on? Um, So I was a little worried that I just wouldn't have a way in. Yeah. But I think the the show did a job of like slowly kind of letting me in. And then once I was there, I was like, oh, okay, this, this world isn't as unconventional or alien as I first was worried that it would be, which was kind of nice. I honestly think that's exactly what people have had a problem with is that they weren't left going at the end. It's like, oh my God, what was that all about? (laughs) Now I have to like think about this and go on a million forums. Mm. I was sort of like, oh, I feel content that I got through this and like got what it was vibing. There were probably little details here and there. Mm. Um, ideas that I could go back and examine a little bit more closely, but I didn't come away going, what was that all about? Or uh, it was was fairly straightforward. Yeah, I didn't have to go to Reddit and be like, I need the advice of people that are smarter than me online so then I can go in real life to my friends. This is my idea and act like I'm smarter than I am. Ouch, Um, that hurts. I actually wasn't talking about you, but hmm, interesting. <laughs> um, oh, so you're not smarter than me. Good God, to know. No. What Good made you think of that? <laughs> I don't know. Your ego. Um, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Was that too harsh? A little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If I had an ego. It's gone now. Don't worry. <laughs> Come on. You know you've got that uh, confidence. Confidence that, is okay. Uh, Oh, yeah, man. meow. Meow yeah. agrees. <laughs> Sorry, well that's, done, a, that's my cat, everyone. Um, Stop fighting you two. Jeez. That's right. I don't even remember what I was talking about now. We're talking about it wasn't too smart for you. Oh, yeah. No, it wasn't. It, it fit my dum-dum brain and I was like, fuck yeah, cool. Yeah, I think that was it was comfortable in that sense. But there's been some interesting uh, accusations placed against the show as well. Ooh. That, that apparently maybe it was meant to be weird. I think people just really were like, ah. Oh. I kind of wanted this show to be more exclusive and for me, right? Mm. It was more accessible and I didn't like that. Um, but the idea that I think um, Kerry Fukunaga was saying that at one stage it was an episode that was really about like stripping back the layers and stuff and then sort of the uh, Netflix algorithm came back and said, well, actually, we know if that you go a little bit too crazy with that sort of thing here, you're going to have this percentage of people drop off your show. And then choosing to go, well, no, maybe we should do less of that mm. and make it something that people are going to continue to watch. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting little debate. Like, is that desirable? Do you want an auteur to be shaping their show around like, well, uh, is everyone going to be able to watch this or not? Well, it depends, I think, if it's a choice or not. If the auteur or the creator goes, oh, well, I've, you know, this is kind of what I want to do and then being told by people like, oh, but, you know, most people aren't actually going to understand that and them going, oh, well, I would like people to understand what I'm doing. There's like, there is like something that I am trying to do and I want it to be accessible to people. Okay, sure. Like, you know, yeah. it depends if they like are they happy feel, with something yeah. being almost impenetrable or if they do want to kind of reach a broader audience. I don't think there's anything – I don't think it's, it's necessarily a sellout move. Yeah. I don't think that that's the case at all. I think, yeah, if it's not a choice, I think that's upsetting. But if that's what they want to do, 
then that's fine. I, I, I also understand the argument that like, well, it's a slippery slope, right? Do you get to a point where everything is so decided by this algorithm that it all just starts to be the same color beige? Like you can't take mm. risks or have t- as much texture as you'd like. I think that's hilarious that that argument is b- being brought up in Maniac, where like the platform of Netflix really has given us the opportunity to have this fucking crazy show. Sure, sure. Like that wouldn't be happening on a network and probably like even on cable would yeah i don't think would be reaching such a broad audience so the fact that we have this kind of bizarre thing with such a big budget the fact that we are now having great shows with incredible performers um and can kind of do their own thing for then to people go, oh, well, there's like an algorithm now as if there hasn't always been an algorithm sure. as to like how TV and film has been made. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Netflix is as much a data sort of mining company as, as they are an entertainment producing company. Mm. And that's not to say that other cable networks haven't been, but in the past it's, they've had Nielsen ratings, right? Yeah. And that's that's getting much more sophisticated now with mm-hmm. what Netflix is able to do yeah. because it's such a direct input from every single viewer rather than mm-hmm. putting a box in a bunch of people's homes and asking them to take a survey. Yeah. Um, that That is, yeah, while that was always the goal, mm. the sophistication of that has changed. Yeah. I think what's interesting now is that if it the the more sophisticated it gets, I think creates an opportunity to really for content that directly speaks to you as an audience member finding you. Whereas before, with like the simple rating system, yeah. it was like something would be really popular, and then it would be a bunch of executives being like trying to figure out what about that thing sure. was the reason it was popular. So you have like, you know, friends being huge and then all of a sudden every sitcom being about a group of incredibly good looking friends as though that's all it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, well, no, there's this, you know, that specific writing team. It's the chemistry between those specific actors. Um, and so like now if we have like, oh, well, for me personally, if I'm like really responding to this and people like me are really responding to this, then while you know, it might not be a huge percentage of people, the likelihood of Netflix being like, oh, well, if we put like this portion of budget towards this portion of people to create content that they really enjoy Mm. and actually make it and understand why I like it, I think that could be kind of good. Yeah, I don't think, that's the thing, I don't think of of all this it should be all doom and gloom, like, oh, you know, entertainment's going to lose its teeth and just be the same grey blob. Mm. Um, There is a lot to be gained from that as well. But um, I don't know. It's just it's an interesting sort of discussion mm-hmm. around it. Uh, what you did say earlier, though, about how we're in this you know age where there's high budgets and we can get amazing actors, it is pretty crazy that we've got mm. a show with Jonah Hill, Academy Award winner, recent Academy Award winning actress uh, Emma Stone, Sally Field, Justin Theroux. Like, mm. that's some huge talent in there. Yeah. Um, and also kind of now the unofficial In My Brain sequel to Superbad. Um, <laughs> but what did you make of... Well, let's start with Owen then, Jonah Hill's character, Owen Milgram. Um, mm. Did you did you find his character engaging, his storyline interesting? Did you like what Jonah Hill was putting out there? Um, I think my biggest pause is with the character Owen. Mm-hmm. I think for so much of it, he... I'm wanting something from him, which obviously the character can't give because of who the character Deliberately is. Deliberately deadpan, yeah. Yeah. Um, but also I think sometimes 
in the moments where he is in a recreation in the within the simulator um that i think perhaps the performance isn't quite up to par sure um so that's an issue for me mm-hmm. it can be a little distracting sometimes being like this feels like Jonah Hill playing a character, which yeah. is unfortunate. Um, but and I, and it certainly took a lot longer for me to understand where we were going with Owen. Sure. Where with Annie, it was pretty clear quite early on exactly what her journey was going to be or going to look like or what her uh, purpose was, I suppose. Whereas with him, I was like, there was a feeling of meandering and I was slightly confused. Uh, it wasn't as obvious to me and I think it's probably going to be great on the rewatch. Obvious to me how his um, his psychological journey was uh, tracking through the different scenarios that he was in. Yeah, now this is actually really interesting, What you're, I think, what you're saying here because... So, when you look at the difference between what's oh, happening with Owen, what's happening with Annie, Annie's emotional stakes are really obvious. Mm. Like, in terms of what growth and what arc she has to go through is really straightforward. Mm-hmm. Owen's is a little more cerebral and that's like he has been diagnosed with this form of schizophrenia potentially. He's had this blip maybe. He's got his family pressuring him to take the stand and defend his brother from a... Pretty horrible accusation we find out by the last episode. It was, mm. inter- it was really interesting how they kept that away from you for so long. Yeah. He questions his own reality because he sees to seems to see and hear things that other people don't. Mm. He wonders whether any of that's real or if it's all sort of make-believe to the point where he's not even sure if Annie exists. Mm. Uh, side note really quickly, did you think the show was implying anything at the very end with like the poop robot and the dog and the eagle? Like Some people have read into that like it's meant to be a... Oh, they're still in the simulation. I'm like, no, nah, fuck off. That's not what's happening here. No, I didn't read anything into that. No, neither did I. I was like, this show's fun. Yeah. The and then what's interesting is like we get out his biggest uh sort of ongoing struggle seems to be like believing or believing he can be better or mm-hmm. even what better looks like and continuing to question like Annie's existence and whether he's making progress and stuff. And then we get to that bit at the end where he stands up and says his brother's a monster and has sort of the courage to mm. to speak out against him. But I didn't really feel like we necessarily were moving in that direction at all times. We got that moment. It's fulfilling in and of itself. I but did you that, yeah. feel like that arc really happened for him? Did you sense that because I didn't necessarily I liked his how he ends up with Annie at the end Mm -hmm. with her breaking him out yes and then like as friends we can help you to heal together Mm -hmm. but that bit didn't track for me yeah I I understood that like from a basic storytelling point of view that 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 is where we should be going Um, but actually feeling that through the season, I yeah. agree, wasn't there, and that's why I think sometimes I felt a little lost with his with his story. Yeah, because I I knew where I thought we should be going, but in the actual individual episodes, I'm like, did we get that from him? Yeah. Um. So I think it will be interesting on the rewatch to kind of see, maybe to pay a bit more attention to what he's doing, because Emma Stone and the character of Annie, one, it's it's right there in front of you, yeah. so you can really pay attention to it. And she is such a dynamic character and performer, particularly performer. Um, but yeah, I'd be interested in going back and maybe studying Owen a little bit closer. 
Can you do you have any explanation for the significance of him solving the Rubik's cube at the end, on a plot or on a thematic level? Um, as in the symbol of the Rubik's as cube. As in the symbol of the Rubik's cube, and then he is like that projection he has of his brother as mm. like a. I wondered if it was um the AI still doing its job in the sense that Owen still sees this fake brother of his who mm-hmm. is always trying to get him to save the world. And so, if she gives him- Trying a- to resolve that. Yeah. She's like, oh. well, if you actually save the world, then he goes away. That was maybe a thought I had. That's an interesting idea. Because I wasn't really sure what the, A, the significance of what he was actually doing was. Mm. And I don't know whether I missed that. Was there a detail about what that was meant to represent? The fact that it was a Rubik's Cube, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things didn't, again, didn't really track for me necessarily. And then that didn't worry me so much because he hadn't finished arcing yet. Like yeah, it was exactly. almost like a false resolution. Well, that was, that, I think, what was confusing mm. because it was, it was, shown to us as though it was like a big kind of moment because yeah. it, it goes it runs in parallel with annie's big exactly, arc. Yeah, and so yeah. i was so i was just confused i was like well annie's in this moment that is actually really satisfying yep. and beautiful and then we go to him and it doesn't feel that way i don't really understand the purpose of it i don't i don't feel like there was um a clear arc there yeah. and so that was confusing to me because I was like, oh, is this just bad writing? Have they dropped it? And then as the show goes on, you realize that it's not actually, it's it's a false conclusion. It's a false resolution, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that ultimately it's where it became. I was like, okay, I think I understand that. But in the moment I'm yeah. sitting going, So maybe what? it's the fact that in his brain, that was the story that needed that big resolution so that in his real life, he could actually get the resolution needed for yeah. happiness. Well, I mean, and that is one of the themes I think of the show ultimately is like how how do you fix broken people? Is that <laughs> a realistic thing? And certainly is it doable via science and drugs? Mm-hmm. Really is sort of a big question it's asking. And it that specific scene suggests that the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Whereas with Annie's storyline, you mm. could make a stronger case that she was definitely helped by... Science like this yeah. experiment certainly helped her to. Mm. I also think that simply just going to normal therapy probably would have helped probably. her. Like she was in a a huge um, state of like denial and just not. She had ceased to function. Yeah, really. She had. She was lost in a bad memory, mm-hmm. um, not understanding her worth or that she deserved not to be doing that, not to be reliving that all the time. Um, so, yeah, I think the fact that her drug addiction led her to a place to, where she could get help because, she, you know, she's goal-focused. Yeah. That was her goal to get drugs. Um, and so, that's she did what she had to do to get there and it just so happened that <laughs> she got the therapy that she needed while she was there. Mm. Um, was there anything else about Annie, the character or the storyline that you specifically wanted to talk about? Obviously, we... we both appreciate Emma Stone was did a really mm. good job in this. Um, yeah, I feel like there's is there another element there you specifically want to talk about? I mean, there's a lot Go there, um, but I think it's not even specifically about Annie. I think sure. it's just about um, what the season is doing with both of our main characters, with like and the and the way that this scientific experiment uh, is presented to us, and I think it's really interesting. Um, and kind of exciting as someone who loves television, who loves story, who was a story nerd. Um, and it's really just about how our brains use 
stories and genre conventions and narrative structures to help us contextualize and understand ourselves, Mm -hmm. which is why I love television. I mean, that's why I love doing this podcast with you because that's kind of what we do. You talked at length about Bojack Horseman Season 5 last week because you found (laughs) it very... Therapeutic. uh, Therapeutic, yeah. And cathartic. And I think story is a wonderful tool. Not only is it simply how we just you know, contextualize the world around us to understand how things function. Um, But it's also a really important tool that when we use it to create things like television and film can be really healing for people Mm -hmm. to see themselves or to empathize with others that they had, you know, seen as others, quote unquote, others. Um, it's, it can be a unifying thing. It can be a healing thing. And the fact that this show was exploring that, like, just gave me a huge fucking boner. <laughs> I was like, this is my jam. I re- so, I, yeah, I kind of just want to, like, rewatch it a couple of times sure. and just kind of, like, appreciate that a little bit more because I think I was, like, so distracted by the weirdness that I wasn't soaking up um, the love of story that the creators were putting in front of me speaking about sort of like using story as a therapy you know in a therapeutic way or or how we can examine ourselves through story i'm surprised that we've been talking about this probably for half an hour now including the non-spoiler mm. part and we really haven't brought up i don't think any of the specific fantasies mm-hmm. which tend to for the most part, just be an episode. It's mm. like we'll explore one of these sort of fantasy realities and, and move on to the next one. Yeah. Um, they didn't necessarily stand out to me as much as I thought they would. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I expected them to be... We, when we've, we've talked about a lot with Bojack Horseman, how I really appreciate when they change their format up, right? And they will do something to to play with the formula and sort of be bold with those sorts of choices. And then this does that, is doing that really on the surface very deliberately. And yet I'm not always, I wasn't super taken with many of them Mm -hmm. or really dazzled by them as much as I thought it would be. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I, the one where they're in the 80s and it's about the Lima. Yes. The first one. Yeah. That got me really excited. Sure. So I was like, this is, this just feels like a short story. Mm-hmm. Um, almost kind of had a Miranda July vibe to me in the fact that it was like, so, there were so many things there that were like familiar. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, I recognize that. But there's like this weirdness to it. Um, and I know a lot of people don't like Miranda July, but I actually quite like her. I'm not even sure what, who that is. Stuff. Uh, she writes really cool stories. She's actually made a couple of films. Oh, okay. Um, I can't, the name's escaping me now. Um, but yeah, I, I find it like people don't like her because she's like a bit kitsch, I mm-hmm. guess. But I, I, I appreciate what she does. So when I was yeah watching that first one, I was just having so much fun. Mm-hmm. I was I was just like, oh cool, all right. I didn't think this was gonna be the thing, and yeah, and I thought it was really well written and it was hilarious and the dialogue was amazing and Emma Stone fucking killed it. Particularly that accent, just that's just a funny accent. It was almost a Coen Brothers sort of uh, thing going on there with that yeah. first one. I really appreciate that vibe. Yeah, too. totally. Yeah. And then when the um the fantasy one came, I oh, fuck, I was like. Oh my god, this is amazing! I was like, 
I, it was at that moment that I wished the experiment was real. So I was like, sure. can someone please take me there where I just get to be my D&D character? <laughs> and also heal some trauma while I'm there. Sure. Sure, why not? We can uh, try that. We can ask Ben to do that, our DM, next time we play. Yeah. It's like, Ben, can you incorporate some yeah. like mm. some trauma healing therapy stuff into this? That'd be great. Yeah, it's good. I'll just I'll just give him a list of my issues. Like, <laughs> yeah, can you just solve these over the six hours that we play once a month? Thank you. That'd be great. That'd actually save me a lot of money. Um, yeah, and I, I was excited and I was having fun and I think... The amount of fun I was having or excitement I was feeling at the possibilities um, I think really helped me for this show because it was so disjointed and I think it allowed me to forget and just have fun and enjoy. Sure. Which I didn't expect to happen. I thought this show was going to be work. Yeah, right. But it didn't feel like work. Yeah. Because it was so split up, and I enjoyed the separate segments. Mm. I kind of wish they were just a bit more... Like I think that first one was a good entry point. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm looking forward to these getting, you know, mm. ramping up from here, mm-hmm. sort of. It's, again, expectation is in there. But then we get to the second one, and they're sort of these two thieves who are mm. trying to steal the lost chapter of Don Quixote, which is a cute idea. People were smaller back then. Yeah. <laughs> tiny book. And they're like... At this seance, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I just was like, I feel like this can go a little bit further. I feel like mm-hmm. we can have more fun with this. They do mm-hmm. that cute bit where they sort of go through the mirror to find it, mm. and they had that weird dance that started to take place during the seance. It was like, and it was just those moments were almost like, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. And then we move on. I'm like, oh, we're so close. Why I get we, that. I can why see we- why you'd. But I also, yeah, the fact that like we were going through them, even in like you know, one episode, like you'd mm. go from moment to moment so quickly, actually made it feel quite dreamlike to me. Like sure, that sure. rapid feeling, the rapid movement. I'm not really like being able to hold on to anything too quickly. I didn't need them to go over more episodes. I just felt oh, like- Oh, no, that's they- not what I'm saying. Oh, it's right. Yeah, it's just like, with let's oh, talk about the seance one. Strange where like things bit. keep going. Sure. You're like, what? <laughs> sure, sure. Made me feel like, oh, yeah, I can see how this is just like flicking through someone's brain, yeah, okay. I guess. Yeah, and then uh, it's funny that you said the fantasy one was your favourite one because I was starting to feel a bit like... The fantasy one, we were over two episodes. And I the first episode in so particular, much. I was like... Mm. Oh, I liked it so I was maybe much. expecting a bit more. It's it, 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 I just really enjoyed her, like, drug car felt. I, I really enjoyed it. character. I like the idea yeah. of that. I even like her performance, even if her accent isn't the best thing in the world. But that's mm. fine. It doesn't matter. They're not meant to have perfect accents. Like, that's why I like Snorri in the very next... But mm. the next episode is my favourite one because it got to a place of weirdness. was like, yeah, now I'm really vibing this Snorri's weird accent, that whole meeting in there that they're having where they're interrogating about what happened to that alien that they were meant to be looking after. And then oh. the weird shootout that goes on. It's like, this is insane and Snorri's, really fun. Snorri's little speech about his accent oh, made me laugh so <laughs> Because his parents were like, Yeah, this I think like and- that was the episode that made me go, fuck yeah, this is what like Jonah Hill should be doing. Yes, and that was my favorite was, Jonah Hill performance. Yeah, by he far. was he was killing it. And that was that was so bizarre. And it was just hilarious that this fucking idiot yeah. was in charge of this alien and just the scene where he explodes in front of everyone. It was just absurd and genuinely funny. It was. Mm. And it was, I mean, it fitted that it was getting as 
crazy pants was ever going to right as this computer is supposedly unraveling. Mm. But I also kind of felt like like this is a thing where one of these people has been taking the A-pill for God knows how long mm. and their mind is really affected by it. One of them didn't take the A-pill at all and sort of hasn't gone through this. I really And plus there's this weird mechanical failure that's putting them into each other's world. Yeah. It could have been doing some of this sort of unraveling a little bit mm-hmm. earlier. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. No, I, I think, I think the critiques are fair. I really do. Yeah. Um... I didn't love his uh, gangster family bit either. I particularly I hate his performance. What, I was like, I oh, what had, the fuck are you saying? Had to turn subtitles on because I yeah. had no idea what he was saying. I think at that point I was too lazy and I, I was sitting with my girlfriend and she was like, she's like, what did he say? I was like, I don't fucking know. This is I a, don't know. You got Sometimes I feel like you need to go, okay, I like the ideal of the grill. It's a bad choice. I cannot understand what he's saying. Let's get rid of it. But it's not only the grill. Again. It's also just a... He's talking down here all the time like he's just doing a whisper because he's a tough guy. Mm. It's like, what? <laughs> uh, just so we can wrap up the Owen and Annie stuff. Mm. The ending with him um, in the hospital and then Annie coming to mm-hmm. break him out yeah. was really great. And yeah. I really felt that. And my girlfriend was in tears <laughs> as they sort of drove away. And it did have yeah. a very the graduate feel to it as they mm-hmm. sort of drove off in yeah, the distance and you sort of. The reality of what they did sort of came back to hit them, but um. Yeah, it was at that point when I was just like, my cynical brain started wearing up, oh, and it was really? just like, I think this is too sentimental. Oh. And then, and but, and then I was just like, "Fuck no, Damas, just enjoy the goddamn show." And I did, and I was like, "That's really fucking beautiful," and yeah. I just liked it. I was like, you know, that's what I wanted. Yeah, and like, why? Do I have to fight just getting the thing, the happy ending that I wanted? It's fine. Just be happy with that. And I was. Because of all the... the uh, We said that Annie's storyline sort of, you know, trying to recover and move on from the trauma of losing her sister mm. and their relationship and sort of how it all went down happened very well. A lot because Emma Stone's a great performer. This was the other storyline that felt very organically done. When some of Joni Hill's stuff wasn't necessarily working, whether it was performance or whether it wasn't in the in the text itself, mm. to get them to a point where they're like, no, we, we're going to be better off if we because we're going to be friends, that was really built up perfectly as this as it went on. Mm-hmm. Um, their sort of weird first meeting, the way she sort of u- allied to him to try and, you know, just sed- sedate his weirdness at that moment. Yeah. Sort of them building a trust together, being each other's... Brains, that weird fate that seems to come with that, and he's questioning whether those feelings of fate are even something that he are real, or if it's mm. part of his psychosis, and like on and on it goes. And so to get to a point, they sort of go, "I'm going to help you, and you're going to help me, and we're going to be okay together." Yeah. Like, and we're beautiful. just going to be friends. That's great. We're just best buds. It was Loved awesome. It. Mm. No, I really, really like that ending a lot. Let's move on to sort of the B plot then, which is everything that's going on around them as they're in this. Um, mm. This experiment. B-plot is A+. plus. B-plot mm-hmm. is A+. plus. Mm. I love all the stuff with the mantle rays and Vegeta. <laughs> and I want to put... I'm just going to put this out of here now because otherwise I'm going to... I'm, I'm painting it up. Um, Azumi Vegeta is a fucking awesome character. Mm-hmm. I love Sonoya Mizuno's performance of her. And I mean that on like every level. I love her accent. I love the sort of her cadence, the way she says things. Mm-hmm. I love the her like hands on her hips, sort of this silhouette that she has going for her as well. She is 
something they talk about in animation a lot is that you want every character to be unique enough that if they were in silhouette, you could tell who they were directly. Mm. So you can't just have different colored skin and hair and stuff like that. If you can see their outline and go, oh, that's Homer Simpson or that's like, you know, that's a really well-designed character. And she, to me, was so anime. I like, you could look at that, her in that like iconic sort of hands on her hips pose mm. or smoking a cigarette and go, oh, yeah, that's Azumi Fujita. And like- yeah, that's cool. It's so cool. The character design is great. It's great. Mm-hmm. Every, she's just so engaging to look at and I'm very attracted to her as well. That's a whole other story. <laughs> but just loved. She was always a treat. Any Azumi mm-hmm. scene, I'm like, I'm in. This is great. Mm-hmm. This is great. Anyway, just want to put that out there. Did you have similar feelings or was that just me? Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I don't. I think I had like a half chub. Oh, I, I couldn't was... get over it. It was so good. <laughs> no, she was a lot of fun. I think I was just... So enamored and disgusted by um, Thoreau that oh. I was just like, it's so fucking good. He's so good. They did a really good job setting him up because he doesn't even get introduced until like episode three or four mm. properly, right? And we've had a, the the other doctor who dies after basically ODing mm-hmm. um, on I think on the A pill as well or the B pill. I can't remember which one it is. Maybe it's C pill. Anyway, um, and. Then she goes to his to James Mallory's house and goes to collect him, and it's a really weird introduction as well with That's him like uh, having sex with like the queen or the high priestess of Atlantis. Yeah, with his like giant like Goku hair or whatever. That's right. <laughs> and then you come out of that VR fantasy, and he's still got this like the tube on his the dick. Tube on his dick. Oh, it's so weird. So gross. And, and there's like weird sandwiches everywhere, and oh. yeah, awful. And his character throughout is, like, always at 10. It's mm-hmm. just, it's a very weird, over-enunciated, cartoony sort of character. But one of the best things they did is when they first enter the experiment and they have that, like, 80s, like, mm. um, VHS tape sort of Yeah, the Tim and Eric sketch, yeah. It, and it sets a tone that you're just like, oh, this is really cute and funny, this, like, weird 80s thing. But it sets a tone for his character. So when you get to him... And you've already had him in that little that little bite-sized couple episodes earlier. Mm. Just was a, a good introduction so you didn't get overwhelmed with, oh, where the fuck this element come from? Yeah. It was beautiful. That's true. Um, and then the the ongoing tension between him and Sally Field's character of Greta Mantle Ray, the fact that he made a robot version of AI her. AI mum, yeah. Fuck, man. Like, this is some, you know, straight up uh, yeah. Oedipus stuff, but it is... Really yeah, fun. I'm sure Freud's Freud. butt exploded <laughs> with excitement about that one. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I, when Sally Field or his mum, his real mum, first comes in and they just like kiss, I was like, I fucking yes. love this show. Yes. It's so disturbing. And he's so like taken aback and aroused and just like, well, that's just what they do. And, um, Fuck, what's the chick's name? Vegeta. Vegeta is just kind of like eye rolly, just like, oh, God. Yeah, no, it was very good. Um, did you uh, did you think it had gone too far when he had psychosomatic blindness? No. I love absolutely it. not. All of that stuff. Because Justin Thoreau can like sell me anything. I'll be like, oh, is this what we're doing? Okay. I'm going to giggle all the way through it. I, I loved it. I, and because he's such an absurd person, the entire time he's absurd. Why would I be sh- like, like that's too far for him? Because I don't think that character could go too far. No, no, it was. 
He's a cartoon. He's a cartoon man baby. <laughs> um, I loved every element of that. I'm, I'm actually having a hard time finding something to criticize about it or say that's particularly mm. in depth. It was just super fun. And like the every element of that whole like experiment, that 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 like scientific laboratory, even that like their boss that sort of just talks to them through like a TV, TV. with a wave <laughs> form on it and stuff like that. Yeah. It's so weirdly cartoony and just that just felt, that felt a there. little lynchian to me yeah. when I was with that, but I was like, okay. Very much. And it makes you I'm not expecting a second season. I actively hope there isn't one. Yeah, no, and I it, don't want another one. But it kind of makes you think about the larger the world at large around it. I love that. Like there's enough world building in there to make you go, Oh, I'd love to know more about that person. I'd mm-hmm. love to know more about how this came to be or why the world is the way it is. Yeah, I love this kind of future. This retro future. This I, alternate New York City, whatever. Yeah, dug it. I, it's, well, we've got the, the, the fact that the, the technology doesn't seem to have progressed past the 80s, mm. really. Well, it's like the future in Back to the Future. Yes. Like, it's, it's you know, big screens, and, but fax machines. Yes. And, but, like, hoverboards and shit. Like, it's, yeah, it's very strange. And then, like the bad future I'm talking about. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the yeah, yeah. Well, there's only we only get to 2015 one time, but that, yeah, yeah, it's back to the future 2015 where yeah. it's like yeah, retro future definitely. Mm. Everyone's still using like those green monitors and yeah. like all that sort of stuff is the same. Floppy disks. In floppy yeah. disks and stuff mm. exactly. But then, yeah. like, there's that obvious specific Japanese influence. Mm. And I was trying to like I wonder Blade Runner where you have like an Asian influence, and you look at it, especially future. Owen's apartment is extremely yeah. like sort of uh, you know Tokyo apartment mm. sort of thing, but the I like my brain was starting to try and piece it together. Like, is there a store? Is there like a um, a backstory here that I should be able to piece together from this? So one of the things we see early on, episode one, mm. is he's by sort of on the bay in, in New York, mm-hmm. on Manhattan Island, sorry, and he's looking out to where the Statue of Liberty would be. But there is no Statue of Liberty. Isn't like the super... The Statue of Extra Liberty. Extra Liberty, that's it. Which is like this silver gleaming. I'm trying to remember from the first episode that, now, but it's yeah. like an angel wings. It's like mm. ultra Statue of Liberty. And I was like... <laughs> but then you look at the Japanese influence, like, did like... Japan win the war or something like mm. that? Is that what's happened here? Is this like a col- like a Japanese colonized? And so, like, the Statue of Extra Liberty is like, well, when Japan took over America, that's when you got Extra Liberty, mm-hmm. Liberty Plus. Um, and I don't know. I'm just, just spitballing. But I was like, this is just so many little details. I'm so interested in this, <laughs> this world. It's so interesting. And then you already discussed a few of them earlier. Ad Buddy. Yeah. Such a weird concept, but so relevant and so funny to see a person that just like, listen, you can't pay for your bus ticket, so you can be have an ad buddy follow you around and just talk ads at you on the subway. Fuck, that'd be a nightmare, yeah. So weird though. The mm. poop poo robots, dog dog bot, dog poo bots. The Statue of Extra Liberty, we said, Avoid. So- I loved the stupid capsule thing. I mean, it was so dumb. It was like the fact that it was called Avoid. A- avoid. <laughs> avoid. Um but I loved it. Like I just like all that stupid, like kitschy, goofy campness yeah. stuff. I really dig. But played totally serious. Like mm. played like it's just this, a part of the world. It wasn't about making a joke about it. It was about no. This is yeah. You can experience it from the outside and go, what is this weirdness? Mm. But every character plays like seriously. Mm-hmm. Emma Stone visits her dad in an avoid, and, and that's just what she does. That's that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. 
And she is... He doesn't have a man cave. No. Like all other repressed dads in TV and film, he's got an avoid. That's just what it is. Uh-huh. There's space travel in there, as mentioned as well, though we don't do see much of that at all. There's a purple chess playing koala puppet robot. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing this in the preview, right, and thinking to myself, oh, that's going to be a really interesting, like, weird reality they go to. No, it's in their actual reality. <laughs> so that's, that's where they live. Mm. Um, Doc Stop, I think, I think was the name of the um, store that she goes to. She's going... So so in the second episode, mm. Annie needs to try and um, get in on the the uh, the experiment. Mm-hmm. So she's going to um, get the details of that woman, and then use those against her. Basically, blackmail her. Oh yeah, and she goes to a store and just pays them yeah. to that. So doxing is a thing that in real life is basically where people put other people's personal information online. Mm. And she was going to go to a store and pay for that. It was apparently legal. I don't know. No, it was illegal. It, it was illegal, but they could put a store, f- like they could advertise specifically that they were doing that. Like their place was called Doc Stop. I don't know. Just the whole thing was crazy. Right. Okay. But just that, just the idea of that, like mm. being a service that you could pay for mm-hmm. was really funny to me. And then Friend Proxy was the other one, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Where you can just pay for someone to pretend to be a friend and have a shared backstory. And I'm so confused about the complexity of that or like how you could play along to a level that would be satisfying. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because obviously Gloria from Orange is the New Black is like, oh, you're really bad at this. And I was like, well, I want to see someone who's really good. Yeah, Because totally. even um, Annie at the end, right, she gets one. She's like, because she gets one to play like Owen, like a version of Owen. Yeah, yeah, And she's like, oh, you're bad at this. And I was like, well, who was good? Because <laughs> it seems like a lot of like work you'd have to do to get a solid backstory. Anyway. That was my side note that I was going to put into the next segment. Gloria was in this. Yeah, I really was. have not seen her in anything outside no. of Orange is the New Black. Well, so- they've got a couple of like... People that are being recycled from Netflix shows. Oh, it's happening all the time now. Yeah. Good on them. Yeah, it is cool. Mm. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Least favourite and favourite episode. I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Least favourite episode is episode seven. I am say this completely wrong, but I don't think it's necessarily a real language anyway. Sesi ne est pas una drill? Is that... Uh, it's... Uh, I, I thought it was the fantasy language they might have been speaking. Um, it's, it looks like Elvish or something to me, but maybe it's, maybe it's Isn't real. is it French? Maybe it's French. I don't fucking know. Um, <laughs> the point is... <laughs> it was my least favourite Elvin. Episode. Elvin. Let's go with Elvin. Parlez-vous, Elvin. <laughs> my least favourite episode. It's the shortest episode of the season, and unlike the other fantasies... They didn't really resolve inside that episode. So, I sort of got to the end of the episode feeling a little bit like underserved, underwhelmed, wasn't completed. And I actually have a uh, a conspiracy theory that that and the next episode were split in half. They were originally Yeah, it's meant French to- for this is not a drill. Oh, okay, cool. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the... Uh, the I yeah I I wonder whether that was a long episode they split in half. Mm, mm-hmm. Because it just wasn't... Kind of at the end of it went, oh, that didn't really do much for me. Introduced me to this world of Emma Stone's fantasy, Lord of the Ringsy type world, and then um, Jonah Hill's gangster family. And I didn't like his character, and I didn't really engage in that mm-hmm. at all. I was like, eh, it's a good point. Not yeah. my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. What about you? I mean, I didn't really have a least favorite episode because I feel like, as people say, there's just kind of like a really long 
movie to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I guess I'm gonna go with episode five. My heart's not really in it. Um, <laughs> the episode is called Exactly Like You. I guess maybe just because I found it really hard to buy Jonah Hill in that role. I was just like, I see you, Jonah Hill, playing a character. Which one's that? It's sorry? a seance one. Oh right, yeah. Um, like his yeah accent was just a bit. It's weird because it was played so straight, but his like accent character work felt like a comedy sketch show, I guess. Sure. Um, so I guess that one I'm going to go with, but I kind of liked all of them. It's weird. different ha- things. Yeah. It's weird how much of like the bad accents and stuff I forgive just because it's in their own mm. head. It's mm-hmm. like, well, they don't know those accents particularly well. Yeah. So why would they be good at them? It's like there's something there's su- there's w- there's room for like forgiveness there. Yeah, of totally. That stuff, which is yeah. weird. But I think I it was just because like it seemed like Emma Stone was enjoying herself so much. Sure. And yeah, yeah, it was it was a little jarring the disparity between performances. I think. Cool. Favorite episode. Mine is episode nine, Utangata. Mm. Uh, I love Jonah Hill's Snorri character. As you said, I think that was like, <laughs> this is what Jonah Hill should be doing in this yeah. show. Hit a level of weirdness that I was hoping for while also hitting an exciting and fun plot climax before the episode 10 epilogue, uh, especially, as we said, for Emma Stone's character. Mm. Like, really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's up for a great finale. Yeah, that was that was my favorite. That, that gunfight where... They're like being chased in the hallway and just more and more and more people mm. show up and they just shoot and hit and shoot and hit and never miss. And they're just, they're little like, what they're saying to each other. It's like, oh my God, you got that guy. Wow, look yeah. at that. It was just so fun to me. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, what about you? I'm going to go with episode six, Larger Structural Issues. Because obviously, uh, Matt Ray is forced to deal with his mum. Sally Field is there. Thing the stakes are getting higher and higher with the um, AI malfunctioning, um, and also the stakes are raised in Owen's mind because he believes that the AI is going to kill everyone, or at least you know make them catatonic. Um, so we're gonna go with episode six. Is that the episode where they were completely outside of the simulation for the episode? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, and I've, if I, I was, remember correctly. I was considering. Mm. that as well because I enjoyed the B plot stuff so much. Yeah. That was almost like, I almost want to just give that the um, most mm. of my attention. But I think Utengarda for me put it all together pretty well. Predictions, hopes, concerns for uh, another season? I just hope they don't make it. I don't think it's necessary. I hope so too. I it was a fun little miniseries. My my worry is always that um, if something is doing well, and mm-hmm. I don't know how well Maniac is doing, mm. but that people go, ah, oh, another series of that. And you could theoretically tell a different story in that same weird like earth that we've got maybe mm-hmm. don't do it involving a sort of yeah, maybe it's like an trial. anthology thing i'd be, be interested in that and yeah. that's where you could have a different director from fukunaga and mm-hmm. it wouldn't be such a big concern mm. but i kind of just hope they don't do it just make it a make a different show called something else yep. although if they did want to spend more time in that that version of Earth. <laughs> I'm interested. Mm-hmm. I would definitely check it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my hope is don't come back. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song from Jordan Calavis and our bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-S. 
I can't remember what I've been tweeting about recently. Nothing too exciting. Oh, I ran 5K for the first time. Hell yeah, you life. did. Done it twice now, so it wasn't a fluke. Well so done. I'm pretty pretty chuffed about that. Yeah, hey, when you like accidentally run 5K, it's like, <laughs> how did that happen? Well, sometimes you can just like, it's a good day, right? Yeah, right. Just to happen to be like, that was the perfect time to go. So try it again no, three days exercise. later mm. and still did. I was like, oh, I can actually do well this consistently. Done. That's fun. That's awesome. Uh, Damask. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Lately, I've been tweeting, obviously, about the Alan Jones thing earlier. I said that he looked like a testicle because that's all he deserves it's from accurate. me. It's um, accurate. It is very accurate. And also, um, women in Australia keep getting murdered by men. Yeah. Um, I believe it's like five women in six days were murdered by men. Um, so, yeah, it's fucked and we need to deal with it and stop pretending like it's an individual issue when it's a fucking epidemic. So, that's a fun way to end the podcast. 100% agree with you, though. Yes. Yes. We've put so much time, energy and money into fighting terrorism, which has killed virtually zero Australians mm. in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And women are getting murdered at an alarming rate. Yes. And uh, nothing's being done about it. Yeah. Pretty fucked. Mm-hmm. Next episode, we'll be back to discuss something much more fun than that. Uh, American Vandal Season 1. Yay! Which I have started watching and mm. I'm halfway through. And spoilers, love it. It's pretty fun, right? Yeah. Fucking <laughs> awesome. So, really looking forward to talking about that. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.